t'es en mute. Là, tu m'entends Ah, voilà. Ça va T'es chez toi, là Ouais, je suis dans mon bureau. Ah, d'accord. Bon, hé, hey, on a réussi. Je courais dans tous les sens euh, et puis finalement, j'ai réussi à revenir à la maison. Attends. Ouais, hé, hey, t'arrêtes pas, toi J'aime bien, c'est l'hôpital qui se fout de la charité. <rire> non, mais c'est vrai, tu es toujours en live, tu es toujours en train de répondre à tout le monde en toutes les langues. Ben, en fait, le pro... enfin, le problème, la problématique, c'est que j'ai plein de gens qui me suivent qui ne parlent pas français, donc j'ai la chance de parler plusieurs langues. Alors, je passe de l'une à l'autre. C'est bon pour le cerveau, tu sais, ça te garde ouais. réveillé. Quoi. Ouais, ouais. Hi, I'm Cyril, your host, and welcome to my podcast that I called I Really Want to Do This. In this podcast, I interview guests from all walks of life and try to understand the various ways that different types of people with different backgrounds and experiences succeed in achieving their goals in their very own ways. Think of the past 10 years in your own life. Have you had a personal goal, an objective? Maybe you call it a dream of doing this one thing. You really want to do that one thing, whatever it may be, but for some reason, you never succeeded in making it actually happen. Well, by showcasing successful achievers and asking them how they did it, I sincerely hope that this podcast will give you some ideas and maybe answers on where to start, how to proceed, in order to actually do that one thing That you really want to do. Hi everyone, this is Cyril and uh, thank you again for being here today. We're so happy we have uh, a French compatriot, uh, French and American or just French? This is Valérie. Valérie, how are you today? I'm doing great, thank you. I'm actually Corsican, French and American. I have two passports. Oh wow, beautiful. <laughs> Why did you leave Corsica? It's the best place on earth. Uh, I agree, except I wanted to explore the world. And I thought I love my island dearly. I'm super proud to be Corsican, but uh, I wanted to go around. I, li I lived on what we call the continent, which is, you know, Paris and Lyon and France. But I also wanted to live in other countries. I had lived in Greece when I was 16 and other places of the world. And with... Uh, My husband, we decided to go and explore more of the world. We took our little boy and we went to America. Wow. Okay. I, I think it's going to be fantastic uh, chat today. I cannot wait. What Let's go back. You should be sure of it. <laughs> <laughs> What? Uh, okay. So where were you born? Were you born in Corsica? No, I was born in Angers, which is uh, northwest of France. For a very funny reason, my mom wanted me to be born in the same clinic and same city as her. So when she was about to deliver, she crossed all of France on a train. And I was almost born on the train, actually. And I was born in the exact same room as her 20 years earlier in the same clinic in Angers, where I've never set foot again, pretty much. And um, that's it. That's where I was born. <laughs> wow. So yeah. did, it, did she manage for you to be born on the same day she was born? No, no. <laughs> I would have been a very old baby, like an 11-month-old baby. I wouldn't have worked. <laughs> My son, uh, number two, Simon, was born on the same day as me. Oh, that's cool. No, I don't that's know. funny? It's the best, best gift of my life. That's, oh, I like it. <laughs> <laughs> so, okay, so you were born in Angers, and then she went back home? Yeah, we, and then my parents lived in, in Provence for my entire um, childhood. And then my dad raised me when my mom uh, went away. And I was raised by, by a dad, a French dad, who always told me that women had to wear high heels and red lipstick, whatever you do, whether you exercise or whether you're at home or out. <laughs> and it's something I kept with me because the first time I climbed Mont Blanc, which maybe we would talk about, I remember arriving on the top and before taking the photo, I say, hold on, I need my lipstick. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Did you have any brothers or sisters when you were growing well, up? <laughs> no, I had one child and I also replicated the same pattern and I only have one son. Okay, so you lived in Provence with yeah. your dad most of the time. How, yeah. how was it like to live in South of France? Oh, I mean, I loved it. First, I'm from the South. My dad is Corsican, so I have this Corsican blood in me. I need the sun. Um, but, you know, it's... What funny. does that mean? Does that mean you're hot, hot blood? 
What is I it? am hot-blooded, baby. Don't try to <laughs> with me. <laughs> I get, you know, I get pretty hot-blooded in like less than two seconds flat. So you've got to be nice <laughs> on your best behavior. Um, yeah, so the interesting thing is when my parents got divorced, it was not yet normal, quote-unquote normal, to live with your dad. It was not okay. You were supposed to go and live with your mom. Yes. And I, I was only 14. And at that time, the judge was like, you need to go with your mom. I'm like, no, I want to live with my dad. And yeah. you should have heard, it was terrible, the rumors in the village, why I stayed with my dad. It was super hard to handle as a kid. But I had the best, best uh, upbringing. My dad and my mom later on infused me with a ton of uh, passion, a thirst for knowledge. And frankly, this, you cannot acquire at school you have to have it when you're a kid and all of that was also linked with pursuing your passion I remember my dad saying I don't care what you do in life whether you're a clown a mountain climber an engineer but do it with a passion oh I love it so tell me about the character traits that you had your personality type when you were born oh I mean I'm interesting to know the one you were born naturally and the one that you've built over time Yeah, uh, so I was a super, it's hard to guess now, but I was a super shy kid. Um, in French, we even have an expression, timide maladive. I was so shy, it was almost an illness. Like I, I would shake in the classroom. If, if the teacher would call on me, I would like be sweating and I was like, oh, lose everything, even though I knew pretty much everything I had to know. And it, I was paralyzed. And I learned as the years passed to get rid of this terribly, paralyzing trait of character and and one day I took an anti-shyness class on the east coast when I came here to study in the U.S. and then became who I am and I'm like oh my god I am finally free I lived in this shell you know yeah crushed so, me. wow did you fake it till you make it like did you fake to be an extrovert until you were or what what was your method to say just I'm tired so, of being shy yeah, or what question I was It was a terribly introvert, shy, uh, shy child, even though I knew exactly what I wanted to do in life. But I never really improved until I took that terrible class. I say terrible because it was hard learning how to not be shy. But then it transformed me. And it took three months of an intense anti-shyness class to unveil the real me. And I was like, wow, I wish I had I done this free. before. Yeah. Was it some kind of a theater or improv class of art I'm too shy for that <laughs> <laughs> no it was I went to Hartford University in Connecticut and they don't do it unfortunately anymore but at the time they were offering this kind of out of the you know beaten path class which they were testing on a few students and my friends signed me up they knew I needed it and yeah. And I learned, I mean, one of the things we did, which now because of all the political correctness, we couldn't do anymore, but the, the professor or teacher or instructor asked me to stand on my seat and ask people to insult me really? just to see how I would react. Today, you couldn't do that because as soon as you open your mouth to say something, yeah. it's never correct. But yes. they insulted me because I was too short and I was fat at the time. I was too round. And, and the purpose was for me, at one point to let it simmer and boil and then to explode, which I did. And that marked a different me. I was like, hey, I was standing above these guys and at one point I exploded and I existed. And after that, we used this as a building block and I became stronger at talking back and defending myself. And I was like, wow, I wish we could still do that, you know? Yeah, wow, that would be so good if you could go back to that teacher and tell him that i've been looking for this guy i actually it's a funny thing because last week i was interviewed for the year for the yearbook of my university hartford yeah. and they were talking to me about this and they, they don't even remember it was like a trial thing and now they are looking for this guy so i might find his name again that would be so fun to meet him yeah. and say look your class was key yeah it changed Unlocking, me right I mean, yeah, those teachers you meet sometimes in, in your life and they yeah. they don't know it, but you have to tell them because that I mean I'm sure you'd be happy to see oh, you, sure. Yeah. You know? And and you know it's funny because even though I was shy when I was seven, <laughs> you could tell I wanted to do more in my life. Um I, I could not accept that I was just a human being. I really thought I came from another planet. 
And I remember one day we had this little booklet which we were transferring from school to home and back to school where we put the grades and whatever messages teachers wanted to send. And I covered mine in aluminum foil and I claimed I came from Venus. <laughs> I was like, my parents adopted me. I come from Venus. I'm like, no, it's a lie. I'm like, no, it's not. I can't be like you. I'm special. <laughs> wow. So, yeah. So, okay. So you raised in France and you do that university in Hartford, Connecticut. Was that... Did you do also French university or just that one? Oh, it's an interesting story. I actually wanted to go to Soviet Union. I mean, the newly, the new uh, Russia, because I love languages. As you know, before this, we were talking about so many languages I love to learn. And, and the best university to learn language was and still is in, in Moscow. Yeah. And when I turned 18, I told my dad, a former communist journalist for the French Communist Party uh, newspaper, said, Dad, I want to go and live in Russia and learn Russian there and other languages. I want to be a professional interpret. And he said, "Okay, but then if you want to make a good living, maybe you should go to America and study business there. And I swear this is true. We took a coin and we flipped, I flipped it, and we decided if it's head, I'll go there. If it's tail, we'll go there. USA won. I could have gone to Soviet, I mean, sorry, now it became Russia, to Russia, but I actually went to Hartford. Wow. Yeah. And so tell me about your life when you, you got there. So I actually, yeah, I was dirt poor, so I couldn't afford going to an American university right away. They had a little antenna in France where you studied in two years, the equivalent of the first three years. And I went only on the last year in the U.S. I was working part-time there all day long, pretty much, and studying at night. Yeah. Um, I was super motivated to work well, because when you fund your own studies, you can't really, really you know, fail. You, you are borrowing money left and right and working your ass off. So uh, yeah. I had yeah. to work a lot. And yeah, I graduated uh, summa cum laude, like 396 out of four, super crazy GPA, because you don't have a choice, right? I mean, this is this is great. Uh, like you feel like it's not given to you, but you're gonna take it. Like yeah. I'm gonna study, and you you paid for your own studies. Yeah. Uh, did that teach you something valuable in hindsight about the way you want to live your life after that? Or um, I'd have to say that you don't learn anything in college as far as knowledge, pure knowledge is concerned, unless you're a CPA or a lawyer. I learned business administration. What I think it taught me was more structure. Uh, connecting with others, um, making it happen. Yeah. There is another side of it, which can be terrible for people and who can, who can become paralyzed is when you study too much, you end up being scared of taking risks in your life. You want to study everything, you know, write studies like market studies, life studies, whatever study to, and you pile up the research, but you never decide on your next step because you protect yourself with this wall of study that you have on your desk or wherever, and you never jump. So I think it's great to go to college. But at one point, you need to, you know, make the first step and, I don't know, bite your life and do something out of it. Mm. I feel like the you, you've been an underdog and you like to be the underdog. Like <laughs> people underestimate you and then you just come out of nowhere. Is that because of your you, the way you were raised or there is it? Am I right or am I wrong? Or is there any other things in your life where you felt like you couldn't do it, but you actually said, I'm going to do it? Yeah, you're actually right. Both, I'd say. I was born with so many uh, medical issues. Like I have epilepsy. I'm 50% deaf. I used to be fat. I have skeletal issues. I was wearing braces at the for the first mountains I climbed. We can talk about it later on. I had I had so many issues in my life, which could have been an excuse for not doing anything. And instead I was like, oh my God, we have this expression, which also translates in French, English, and other languages. What doesn't kill you makes you stronger. I'm yeah. gonna use it. And, and I really believe that it made me stronger. I, had, I did not have it easy. I was not born with a silver spoon you know, in my mouth. I had so many things to overcome. Um, I come from a very uh, modest background where the only thing I was offered at school was to be a beautician. I have nothing against beauticians, but I was like, can I do something else? And they were like, no, you should be a beautician. And I'm like, okay, can I climb mountains? Can I do something else? They're like, no, you should be a beautician. And I was like, 
wow, that's the only career choice you're giving me. I'm going to do something else. And where, where was that? That did it was in Provence a long time oh. ago, <laughs> dinosaurs time, you know. You know, I had the same thing. I was in uh, in baccalaureate, so twelfth grade, right? The equivalent of twelfth grade. Oh, 12, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then you see the the mom of the students, and they kind of tell you where to go, and they they help you with university yeah. choice. And I wanted to be a veterinarian. And I went to see them and see uh, one of these mom, you know, she imagine like 50 years old and she knows. And she says, okay, Cyril, so what do you want to do? Veterinarian? Okay, let's look at your grade in biology and mathem- mathematics because you have to be good in science. And I was average, I was not great. So he said, no, I don't think they'll take you. You know, Maison Alfort is the first year for veterina- veterinary school. It's really hard. I don't think with your grade, you can do this. So you should think of something else. I was like, I regret this my whole life. Mm-hmm. I mean, I don't know. I, it would have been such a different life. Yeah. Dad, I was. I said, oh, I don't know what to do. I talked to my parents. I said, well, maybe you should take a year off before you decide. And that's when I went as an exchange student in the U.S. Mm-hmm. But I feel like this is very French. Like somebody tells you what to do. What the heck? Yeah. And and the thing is, they kill your dreams. I call them dream killers. And you know, if you want to do something, maybe your grades are not great but maybe you have other things to bring to the table and you can still go after your dream. You know, at the tw- in 12th grade, I had in economy, I had like almost F. Even though I loved the concept, my teacher really didn't like me and explained very poorly. And I was like, but I wanna study economy and business. When I went to the US, the first year in economy, I had A plus. I'm so vendetta oriented, you know, revenge mm-hmm. is in my blood, I'm Corsican. I took my grade book, when I flew back to France for the summer, I went to school before the and summer. Show it. <laughs> yes, I was like, F you. No, I didn't yeah. say that. <laughs> yeah. But look, I can be good if I have the right teacher. You were just bad. And yeah. this moment for me was so defining. I'm like, I'm telling you, you're bad. I am good. And I've been living my life like this. I always say to people, it's not me, it's you. <laughs> <laughs> well, and it makes you stronger anyway, refusing that you are not good enough. And thinking the others are not good enough for you yeah you know it's it's something about this american culture that you and i seem to have embraced um i felt again like when i moved here 10 years ago that literally anything was possible you know and that's very empowering it's it's really really cool i agree and uh, you know when you say that uh, last week i had an interview for vogue oh my god and they were asking me what i liked in and like still to that day in the American culture. And I was like, listen, it's the I can do it attitude, which is amazing. It's, oh my gosh, my God, the game is almost over and we are losing that game. When you have 15 seconds, oh, we're still gonna give it everything we have and maybe we will score. Yes. It, I had a brain tumor and all my French friends were like, you know, oh, where do you want to be buried? And my American friends were like, oh my God, what's your next game? What are you gonna do when you get out? And I was like, I love the American culture because yes. you're projecting in the future. You're not burying me right now. And uh, that's what I like. It's like whether you have the education or not, if you have the mind, the spirit, the passion, you can make it. And the yes, I can from Obama, whether you like the guy or not, I always tell my friend, it's not a political saying to say, yes, I can. It's a cultural thing. It's a mindset. So yes, I can is engraved in my brain. Yeah. And well, I would say that you know, I also love a lot of things of my French side. And I lived in France until I was 25. So obviously, it's a big, big part of my personality. Um, and there are many things that I think is better in France than in the US. So it's really balancing both. Like sometimes you, you use more the French side, you sometimes more the American. I mean, uh, I use the French accent a lot because I can't get rid of it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's funny. Okay, tell me, do you have a motto? A motto that you use every day? A A sentence or a quote that you like to hear? Yeah, yeah. I have a few mantras um, that I use a lot. And I change them depending what I'm doing. But it's usually, you know, the quote at the end of Gone with the Wind, uh, when she's laying down in the dirt and she's like, she looks like covered in dirt and she says, tomorrow is another day. When everything falls down and I'm like, oh my God, it's the end. And the yes, I can doesn't work anymore. I'm like, you know what? Tomorrow is another day. That's one of my model. The other other one is hashtag team no excuse. 
it's really, you have no excuse, just make it work, girl. I mean, don't find an excuse, just make it happen. Um, so these are my two big ones. Like I do as we say, everything I can, but sometimes it doesn't work and then it's okay, tomorrow is here again. But then if I climb a mountain or if I do something crazy, I have a special mantra for that particular time, which I repeat over and over until I go into that meditative state. Wow. Tell me more about the no excuse. Is it, do you think it's something that people do all the time is they find an excuse for something they want to do and they don't do? Yeah. Um, actually, if you go on my website, uh, lebootcamp.com, on the homepage, we offer a free ebook and it's called Your Best Excuses. <laughs> Because after 20 years of doing my job as coaching thousands, millions of people online, we've gotten crazy excuses for not doing something. And I'm like, God, either they are self-fulfilling prophecies, it's not going to work. Obviously, if you say it and you don't do anything, you're right. Yeah. Uh, but you're also right if you do it and something happens. So yeah, for me, it's it, sometimes I'm like, I, I don't feel like training. In, in December, I'm going to cross, I'm going in Antarctica to ski to the South Pole, which is a pretty intense uh, endeavor for somebody yeah. like me, so many issues. And to be honest, today, I did not train yet. Granted, I had surgery yesterday, I'm supposed to rest, but I'm like, no girl, if you want to make it work, you do at least half of something, hashtag no excuse, do something. Yes. Um, So it's always like somebody else can do it for me, but it's not going to help me be good. There are things you can't ask somebody to do for you. And I refuse excuses. It's almost, it is in my blood. And I don't want to despise people who have excuses, but I would despise myself if I were yeah. to have two no. excuses for not doing things. So you're disciplined against yourself. Um, yeah. Yeah. I you know love, like uh, the devil and the little angel always fighting and I'm on the angel side. <laughs> yeah. Uh, one of the podcasts, it's Agiat, I think I remember saying, discipline um, is basically, no, yeah, self-discipline is actually giving yourself an order to do something and not giving you the choice whether you can go out or not. It's like, once you take the decision, you don't go out of it. And that's it. No excuse. I, I agree. And the thing is, if you, um, if you accept that your excuse will run your life, or excuses with an S, we run your life. At one point, they overtake everything. And I think the more you have excuses, the less you are effective in life. And I like to say to people, don't let your life run you, run your life. Because yeah. if you have too many excuses, your life and and ends up, sorry, running you and you don't have a choice anymore. And, and to me, that's a big thing. But the hard thing is that the excuses are usually pretty valid i mean and they're small like it's they're that, not like not oh i got a surgery so i mean running wouldn't be a good idea maybe i'm gonna swallow get swollen mm -hmm. and maybe i'm not gonna sleep like last night i didn't sleep so maybe it's good to rest today so that's your excuse it's it's kind of valid it's a small excuse tomorrow yeah. i'll go but oh, then valid but i like yeah. to say that motivation is the fuel but discipline is the fire mm -hmm. so Just motivation is not enough. You need to be disciplined. So for instance, today, I can't run, as you rightly said. Otherwise, I already look like a hamster. I'm going to look like a super fat hamster. But I'm going to do a strength training, half-assed training, but I will do something. I will not yes. you know, lower my guard and not do anything. Yeah. You're more than welcome to join me, by the way, if you want to train with me. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds good. Let's move on to the second part of the podcast, which is the, I really want to do this. Mm -hmm. The reason that uh, I'm interested in that sentence, I really want to do this, is I'm an, I want to understand where is the origin of somebody wanted to do something? Where was it born? And in your case, is it born in like reading something? You're inspired to uh, by somebody you spoke to or like, a, or how does it get born to to really want to do something. And then once you have this, what do you do to make it happen? Do you have a plan? What is your strategy? So I'm interested in what you're doing. You could talk to us about that one moment you really wanted to do something. The what is it? Finding moment. Yes. It could be the smallest, but the very beginning. Like you, maybe you talked earlier about that moment that I really want to do this. I'm tired of being bullied, but blah, 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 or be shy. Mm -hmm. Okay. Or it could be something you, you wanted to do. Like, I really want to 
climb this mountain and, and, and do that. But I'm interested in the method. Do you have a method? Because your personality is such that we probably function differently. Mm -hmm. I don't have a method. I believe methods, plans and everything actually cut your wings a bit. And so I don't even have a business plan for my own company because I think it actually reduces the ability to grow. That's my own perspective. Yeah. Though, ironically, my first book, I wrote 50 books in my life, but my first book was about business planning. <laughs> because I know a lot about it that I don't do it anymore. Um, but there is a quote I really love, which I repeat to a lot of people. It's, I'm slowly becoming the person I was born to be. Yes. And I don't believe, unless there's crazy trajectories for some people, but I don't believe you can be the person you wanted to be when you are five years old or even 12 or 15 or, or whatever. And so for me, becoming resilient or fierceless or whatever is built above your life, what mm -hmm. happened in your life, the events, how you handled each of them. But for you were talking about a defining moment. And for me, it was a few years ago. I had some strange symptoms. Um, I was falling when I was walking on the streets and I had strange symptoms. And one morning I can't even see from one eye. And I called a doctor when I said my symptoms in America, usually they make you wait and say, oh, come today at 12. I'm like, oh boy. Um, went to see the doctor at 12 and she looked at me with this very sad face. And I'm like, gosh, she's gonna tell me I'm dying tomorrow or something. And she says, I can't tell you what I suspect. Oh boy, but you need tonight to see a neurologist tonight. I'm like, okay. I called the guy, she says, no, 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 no. You are not calling him. I am calling him for you because I really want you to see him tonight. At that point, I'm super stressed. I'm like, what are they gonna find? Wow. Because I had brain tumors in the past. I'm like, so scared. So I spent my evening, not my night, my evening with this doctor who, you know, plants and pokes me with needles and crazy things. And at the end he says, listen, um, you really look like, it really looks like you have aggressive multiple sclerosis. Um, because you have all the symptoms and everything reads positive. And I'm so sorry to tell you that, but it seems to be going fast in your case since I was already pretty, you know. Mm -hmm. And so first I hear this and I'm like, it's seven. I remember the time, exactly, it's 7 p.m. I spent three hours in his office doing all this testing. I go out of this and you know, this is very interesting. We live a life now where People don't look at others. We are so self-centered. We don't see what happens in other people's life. I remember having friends over for dinner. I don't blame them or whatever, but still listen. I am famous for eating a ton of food. I love my food. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> yeah, I know. Well, I love eating. I'm a little piglet. What can I do? Mm -hmm. I take my friends and we go to a restaurant. I don't order food claiming not being hungry, which is true. I was super stressed. And nobody asked me what's wrong. Why don't you yeah. eat? They just ate and I was in my head, devastated, dead already, one foot in the tomb, you know? And I'm like, wow, people don't love the others as much as they claim to because they're so self-centered, you know? Yeah. I don't tell anyone what I have the entire night, the entire day after, I'm like just <gasps> absorbing the news. And then I decide that the day after or two days after, I'll go somewhere far away in another country. I will unplug everything and I will take care of myself. I don't tell anyone what I have except my husband and son, not even my parents. And I decide to go and do things to my body. Long story short, when I came back, I did an MRI, which ended up being negative. We have two clans here that are completely opposed. One believes that it was an error in the diagnostic, doesn't explain what I had before, but whatever. And the other believes that whatever I did cured me. To be honest, I don't give a damn who is right. I give a damn that I'm super healthy now. <laughs> but yeah. when I was there for 10 days, um, submitting my body to crazy treatment, treatments where I was forced to vomit, it was terrible what I did. What? But I decided, yeah, it was a very hard treatment. But in any case, I decided as I was meditating five hours a day that I would climb the mountains I had always wanted to climb, namely the seven summits. Well, because you I felt like, okay, if I, if I do have multiple sclerosis that means i can't walk in in so many months no, i didn't think like you there is so no the, no but when you said i want to do those seven mount, mountains mm -hmm. before something or like i just want to do it now no you didn't I, think I, I actually never thought if or whatever i decided i was not sick i was like it's no way possible i'm going to make it and i'm going to climb i never use if you know it's like i'm going to make it i'm going to climb 
And you know why I don't use if or try? Mm. One day I did, a con- I gave a conference in New York to 200 businessmen, not a woman, there were 200 businessmen in this room. And I was explaining to them the power of words, how you can program your brain to be yep. better, stronger. And they were not really, really listening to me. And then at one point I softly said in the microphone, can you please try to stand up? Out of 200 people, 10 stood up. Half an hour later, I say, stand up. Pretty much everyone stood up. And that shows how powerful your brain can be if you give it the right order. And for me, it was like, I'm going to make it. I'm going to climb. I did not open. What if it doesn't work? I was like, ah, okay. you see what I mean? No, like if- the affirmation has to be strong. Yeah. I'm not saying, so I don't want people disclaimer. I want people to say or think I'm telling people, don't cure yourself with the right way, you know, with medication. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying that when you are sick and you have a treatment, you have to believe that you're going to make it. Otherwise, yes. it doesn't work. So that's how it worked for me. It doesn't have to work like this for everyone. But I decided right there and then I would climb the seven summits. And when I came back, I did not wait for this ideal and passion to go away and be buried in my everyday life. Right away, I signed up to climb Mount Elbrus in Russia. And this was in May and I went there in August. So it gave me a few months to get prepared. Okay, so how did you make room in your life? Because you, you had a husband and, and, a, and a son mm-hmm. and then you were working and you just said, okay, I'm going to sign up for this. I want to train for this. You just decided and we're going to make room, whatever, whatever needs to be doing. Done. So it's, for me, it's mind over matter. So uh, mind over matter means whatever the matter, I'm going to make it work. And I'm going to be, maybe I'm going to shock you with this. I didn't even make room. I just did, I didn't even think like this. I just did it without planning on making room. Somehow, without realizing or deciding consciously, I just trained. Yeah. No planning. I told you I don't like planning except my training. But I was like, I'm going to just do it. Whatever it takes. I didn't even think if it was going to you know, impact my family. I was very uh, uh, selfish in that. But I'm like, listen, I'm the one who thought she was going to die and everything. So I'm just going to be selfish a bit. Mm. so basically in deciding something you're, you're gonna make it happen um in your life like i kind of i kind of see that that is so powerful usually we try to have all the conditions right before we choose to do something like okay yeah. i'm gonna i don't know let's say i want to have a kid uh, i need to have a job i need to have a house i need to have a paid my car I need to have in my account <laughs> right But in the end, I remember my mom said, well, you know, when I had a kid, I had a kid. And <laughs> there you go. You know, we had to. For, same for me. It happened. It was like, oh, my God, I'm pregnant. Okay, fine. <laughs> I okay, don't whatever. <laughs> whatever. I'm going to take it. But um, what's it inter- interesting here is like, I never waited for all the conditions to be perfect. To me, there's only one situation in life where you wait for this. It's expeditions like yours or when you need, you need everything aligned. Mm-hmm. maybe make it work it's already hard but you need to have this aligned or when you summit a mountain where you need all the conditions aligned but that's the only time really the rest of the time i just go and do it so tell me about this where did it come in your mind to do those seven summits it was just a goal i mean you were not even a mountaineering you were not a runner you were not so um, Yeah, I can't run because I have these issues with my body. So I never run. I never do anything like this. I actually climbed Kilimanjaro when I was 22, I think, just for fun. It was so easy. I was like, wow. And then for 20 years, I didn't do anything until I had this. I don't really know, to be honest. The whole concept of climbing came to me as I was meditating. And I was thinking, I was actually meditating on a sentence, which I remember to that day, which is, eagles fly alone, pigeons flock together. And that I was repeating this saying, there is no shame in wanting to do something different. There is no shame in wanting to be different or in wanting to achieve something crazy. Yeah. And I was really trying, not trying, I was really thinking that if I want to do something crazy, I'm going to do it. Yeah. And so somehow these mountains thing came to my mind. It was not planned. I had not really heard about it that much before. And when I came back without knowing if I could or not do it, I decided I would do it. Mm. Okay, so when, once you've finished those climbs, did you 
do you think you you found what you what you were searching for or what did you feel like um i never search for something i kind of find th i don't like to search for things it, it for me i'm not searching for success or whatever it's just i decided without any other elements around it to climb those mountains and i'm not done yet i haven't finished as a matter yeah. of fact i'm being in antarctica in december mount vincent One mountain, Denali, has resisted me twice already. I haven't made it yet. But to me, it's really the journey. People like talk to me and say, oh, my God, poor you. You didn't make it to the top. I'm like, baby, I don't care. Just preparing, training, going there, giving it all I had is amazing already. Yeah. I think when you say, did you find what you were looking for? Yes, I found fun, discipline, crazy adventures. I met amazing people. That, to me, is success. Making right. it to the top, coming back is amazing. But the last time I was there was two months ago. I could have lost my leg. I had the beginning uh, onset of a septicemia. I came back. It's okay. I saved my leg. The mountain is not going to move, you know? Yeah. It's like the ocean waits for you. You can go back. <laughs> I have this question I always ask, which is to understand how people manage roadblocks when they have problems and issues. How do they manage them do you go around them do you find it you know to solve them and i feel like you don't even listen to the problems you have like they don't even exist exactly i'm like <laughs> you know I, i like to say that you are the product of your environment first you need to surround yourself with people who are the best right but sometimes you can't do that and sometimes you are surrounded by naysayers and people will believe you can't do it I don't even listen to this. It's like I'm, I'm already 50% deaf, but with these people, I'm, I don't even, la, 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 I don't hear you. And you're right. I don't go around a problem. I actually take my bulldozer and I just go straight. Um, the first picture of me you have in life, except for the baby, I'm actually three years old wearing a little skirt and driving a huge red tractor. I'm not driving it. I'm sitting on it, but yeah. it really is me. I'm like, I'm going to go straight. Um, and sometimes it's ridiculous because maybe by going around it would be easier, but I'm just like this. I'm just going to, you know, flatten out anything <laughs> and just go straight. That's it. Okay. You feel, I feel like you've got so much energy and then you're, you're so much personality and so much intensity. <laughs> Tell I'm me. Exhausting. I was thought I'm exhausting. Yeah. <laughs> so, people around me, like you exhaust me. Valerie. That's what I want to know. Tell me about two of your really good friends. And what characteristic they have that you like, and what are they, and why? Why do you love them? Ah, oh, interesting. I have a very long. I, she's almost my sister. My, you know, not blood sister, but in ancient times, you would have said milk sister. Mm -hmm. I've known her since I was seven, and to that date, we're very, very close. She knows everything about my life. Maybe just my dog knows more because he doesn't talk back. So sometimes I talk more to him than her, but. She lives in London, so I don't see her all the time, but we've really been connected all our life. Uh, we exchange a lot. She's super knowledgeable. To me, what really matters is that people learn. I love learners, people who know things, who have a passion for knowledge. She's obsessed with nutrition and, and how to be a better person. So that's how we have always connected. Sewer seven, we were obsessed with nutrition. And She has just the same wavelength as me and we connect with no judgment. I can tell her anything. Her name is Selena. Um, she also has a crazy uh, background, different culture. She speaks different languages. And so to me, that makes her a very specific girl and, 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 yeah. and person I can connect. But my second girl, it's also a girl. She's my soulmate, mainly on the mountains. She's the only person I really have 100% trust. I fell in a crevasse with her, with her I knew I was going to get out. When I climb with her, she has my back. I have her back. Her name is Xenia. She lives in Moscow. And that's why I'm learning Russian. She's she Russian. English, but yeah. yeah. But um, she speaks a lot of languages too. But we have this common passion and she's very nurturing. I love also people who are nurturing and she's also that. Um, that yeah, that's These two girls are so different. And at the same time, they have the similarity of being nurturing. Yeah. Do you meet the people that are so important to you in like nowadays, or are these people that have um, you've known forever? Do you tr build trust fast? <laughs> Sorry if I'm laughing, but I'm famous for being a 
a very trusting teddy bear. <laughs> by default, I believe humans are good people. And believe me, it's not true. I've lost my company twice to bastards, I call them, because <laughs> I trust easily. Um, I tend to trust easily first, but then I'm very Corsican in a way. You have to prove yourself. It takes years to be in my really, you know, in yeah. my heart. I trust people right away until they prove me wrong. But also it could bite me in the ass. Yeah, it, it's very painful. I can't see it already because my my ass has been beaten too much. <laughs> <laughs> but is it, do you think it's better that way or the opposite where you don't trust anybody and then only... No. Don't, I, I think, think it's very better. sad. If you don't trust people, you live this very sad, dark life. I believe in trusting. You know, I always compare people to apples. By the way, I'm allergic to apples. Maybe that's why I'm using this example. But I like to say that if you have 10 apples, maybe one is completely rotten to the core. Yeah. But I'm not going to ignore the nine other beautiful organic apples I have because potentially one is not good. And by default, I give my heart, my soul, my love, my energy to yeah. everyone. And usually I, karma is great. I get it back, you know, tenfold, a hundredfold. And you have these terrible, nasty people who take care, take, you know, they take advantage and that's okay because it makes me so much stronger. Every time I had to face one of these bastards and who stole my company or hurt me, I usually, first I collapse, obviously, like everyone, I cry, I go to McDonald's, which is the ultimate insult to your body <laughs> can do. And then... Like a phoenix, I just rise up. I'm like, baby, I'm going to kill you. Not physically, business-wise or whatever, but I'm going to do yeah. something to show you you're so damn wrong. Mm -hmm. Wow, I love it. Very <laughs> uh, very intuitive too. Or you seem to be, like you follow your, your intuition um, and your experience in the past, I guess, to, to follow, yeah. My son it. makes fun of me because he's like his dad, They always think before something, they think long time that you hear no sound. You're like, are they even listening to me? And then poof, something comes out. In that meantime, I had time to book two restaurant tables, a trip to Hawaii, a hotel and fix so many problems. I'm like, wow, that's it. <laughs> then the ideas are amazing, you know, super smart. I'm not that smart. Like these guys are very more like analyst of life and everything. I'm more like intuitive. And sometimes, you know, it fires back. <laughs> Oh, I love it. What's, uh, what's the next thing you, you're planning to do? Uh, the, I really want to do this. What is it that you really want Antarctica to do? Antarctica is big for me. I'm going in December to climb Vincent and then ski to the South Pole. And it's doubly hard. First, I have zero sponsor. They told me I was too old. Oh, and really? It, of course, because of the political correctness, they can't tell you like this. But you understand it. Yes. And I'm like, what do you mean too old? <laughs> Can you please define the words you just used? And I have no big brand. It's ridiculous. I have a huge community behind me. I have amazing media coverage, but all these big brands turned me down. And it could have been a stop because it's, you know, it's expensive. This expedition yeah. is about $90,000, maybe a hundred of everything included. So it's a lot of money, but I found ways. One of the ways was to create a new company, a closing company, where I actually don't pay myself a salary. I create jobs for women around the world. The only thing I'm taking would be to sponsor my expedition. But that was the fire for that new company was this. You don't want to sponsor me? I'm going to sponsor myself. Yeah, the underdog. Exactly. And I'm so really that's the next one. And the, and the next year, I'm going back for the third time to climb Denali. And believe me, third time is a charm. I'll conquer it. Yes, you'll do it. You can come with me, and then we we go and you know cross the Pacific together. Well, yeah, and then, first I have to cross this thing. I my right now I'm counting down already. There's nine months uh, for my a baby. Just time to make a baby. Exactly. And what is it I'm going to do for the night, 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 next nine months? And like you, you know, I had a first attempt, and next one is going to be the good one. What is it? Learning from what I did wrong, the yeah. first attempt. Talking again to all my mentors who have been asked, you know, helping me, Scott Donaldson, who crossed an ocean and Peter Bray and all these guys. I want to talk again and and then decide, you know, prendre le taureau par les cornes, hold the, the, by the, horns. the by the horns and, and do it. Yeah, I, you know, it's interesting what you said, talking to people and learning from your mistakes. I mean, I, you know, nobody knows what I'm going to tell you. It's a big secret because I know why I had this crazy infection on the mountain. I am so ashamed to 
say it, but you know, since it's you and me and the <laughs> listener, let me tell you, I made a big mistake and it's a rookie mistake. I don't know how I could have done a stupid thing like this. But when I packed my super big gear, which you might have seen on social media, I forgot a massive piece of equipment. No, <laughs> that's not how you get an infection on your calf. <laughs> oh, on your calf, okay. Yeah. Um, no, I took, oh, I'm so ashamed. Should I tell you? Yes. Okay, fine. I, oh my God, I'm so ashamed. <laughs> I actually did not take my high socks, but I took my middle socks, which means they were too short for the boots, for the mountaineering boots. Oh, so the shape. Yeah, it all started like this. And I knew it when I was there, to be honest. I didn't tell anyone. I'm like, oh my God, it's because of that. I can't believe it. And somehow a bacteria found its way there and it was very nasty. It really evolved super fast. And I knew I had made that mistake. So believe me, I already bought my, <laughs> for Antarctica, I have 10 pairs. I am not for oh, very low sucks. Well, I mean, you're so into everything else that it's a rookie. I mean, it's not a rookie mistake. It's a mistake. And that happens. You know, uh, I should know better. Come on, I mean, don't try to. I this is ridiculous. Yeah, no excuses. You suck. <laughs> but you know, I hid it from everyone for three days, and then Xenia, she actually was hurt herself, and I'm taking care of her before myself. I don't want to tell anyone, otherwise, everyone will say go down. And she says, "What's wrong with you? My God, this is ugly. Thank you." And take my fever, my temperature. I already have a high fever, and she's like, "Oh boy, it doesn't look good." And I use my satellite phone and call my doctor, and she says. We're going to run a few things, take a very high dose of antibiotics. If it doesn't go better, you have to go down. And I'm like, oh, no. But, so, um, wait, I'm, I'm so surprised. I feel like after talking to you for 45 minutes that you would actually tackle the issue right away, like with no shame, like, hey, here's what happened. What can we do about it? Do you no, have something tomorrow? I agree. So the first day, I didn't tell anyone, but I already took, I put some antibiotic creams on it and stuff. And the yeah. second day... I asked a guy I found on the mountain who had climbed Lotse, Everest, all the big mountains, and he gave me the worst tip ever. I'm hoping he's not listening to this podcast, but he said, you should use duct tape okay. and, uh, on top of a Band-Aid. So what happened is I did that, but what happens when you have short socks in boots, the whole thing moved and the duct tape ended up being on top of the wound. And that was the end of it. And then oh, yeah. that's when I had to, you know, and she saw it, but which also brings me to something. It's not because somebody seems to be a pro that you should blindly listen to their tips and advice and stuff. Yeah. <laughs> As a conclusion, another tip. Can you give me another tip? Like one takeaway. If you, if you picture somebody who's listening to the podcast who really wants to do something, whatever it is, they love butterfly. They want to take a picture of butterfly. They want to travel overseas. They want to lose weight. They want to, whatever it is. What is your advice you would you would give? The one thing they have to remember for somebody who wants to do something. Mm -hmm. I'd say stop planning and do. Mm. Of course, you'll plan later on, but just set your mind to it. Mind over matter, no excuses, all these things. Do it. And right now and then take a piece of paper and your pen and write down a date. I'll do that then. You need to be connected to the thought process. And for that, a keyboard doesn't do it. You need paper and pen, connect your hands to your brain and write it down. You can put it on post-its everywhere around your house so that your you know, mind sees the message all the time. You can, you know, I would say, um, work on your uh, mindset like this, yeah. Yeah. but you shouldn't work too hard. It should be natural because you decided to make it happen. Write it down. You can also commit to it on social media and share it with everyone. Yes. And of course, yeah. you have to do it. <laughs> Um, yeah, you just, you know, say it, share with the world and do it. And then think that you can help others achieve their own passion through you. So you become a role model and it makes you even stronger. Yeah. So basically commit, yeah, sign commit. up, buy the flight, yeah. buy the ticket for the race, whatever. Not refundable. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, not refundable. No excusable. <laughs> exactly. exactly. Oh, I love it. Okay, um, because I sent you the information of the podcast very late, I usually ask you. Are you kidding me? Two minutes before the podcast. Yes, I you have time. <laughs> no, I usually ask the my guest to listen to a song before they come on the podcast so that the energy of that song that they really like that makes them feel good comes through. I don't think you need a song because you already had the energy, but 
Is there a song that you like to go to to feel good? You know, I'm deaf 50%, so I don't like listening to a lot of things because it, it, it makes me so focused on the sounds. I can't really think that well. But I have a few songs. I love Son of a Preacher, uh, which is an amazing song. And then I listen a lot to Krishna Das, uh, kind of meditative yoga music. I love that in the morning when I wake up. My big secret is the 30 minutes of my 31st minute of my day. I am not connected. My phone is not even on because it's off at night, completely off. The 31st minutes, I'm burning some incense in my house. I just project mm. my day. I don't do anything else but this and listening to some Krishna Das music to set the tone for the day. To wake you up and then... Yeah. yeah. I don't look at my phone in my bed like, oh my God, what's it? No, no, never, ever. <laughs> then I need to change something. <laughs> no electronics in your bed. No. More. Oh my God. I, get, I make coffee. And I look at my phone. I, 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 I know it's a French. Bad. You're French, my dear. Your bed is for sex and sleep. That's it. <laughs> okay, that's a good tip. <laughs> Valérie, where can people follow you? And if they want to learn more about you with Instagram, social media, YouTube, yeah. whatever. Yeah, they can follow me on Instagram, Valérie or Sony. Be careful. One mistake in my name, and it's a porn actress from another country. So okay. <laughs> so it's so Valérie or Sony. <laughs> V-A-L-E-R-I-E-O-R-S-O-N-I on Instagram. And there you will have all the other links to my website and everything. Fantastic. <laughs> Listen, Valérie, it was great to speak to you. I feel pumped up now. I'm going to go and run. And you have to go and do your workout, right? <laughs> yeah, I'm going to go right now. Even if I look like a hamster, don't tell anyone. <laughs> Thank you for Actually, having me. It's such yeah. a beautiful day. I think I'm going to go cycling for a little bit. I want a proof. Just share a photo on, on Instagram. Oh, <laughs> I'll do that. I'll send it to you. Bye. Thank you. All right. Bye. Thanks, everyone, for listening. I'm your host, Cyril. And remember, life is an adventure. Live it. Fantastique. Attends, je vais faire une photo. Attends, bouge pas. Je vais faire une photo. Ouais. Je vais faire un petit post. Euh, un non, je vais faire un screenshot. Elle est yeah. bête. Attends. Et moi, je peux pas faire en même temps. Si, attends, euh, comme ça. Ouais. <rire> ça fait, on s'appelle. <rire> attends, attends, viens, on la refait comme ça. Merde, comment on fait Bouge pas. Attends, recording. Hop. Comme ça, t'es prêt Ouais. <rire> ouais. Cool.